every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week we have made it to episode 605 Life Serial and 606 All the Way. Uh, we are knocking on the door of Once More with Feeling, but <laughs> not quite there yet. Um, so joining me back with me for the first time in it feels like it's been a minute uh i can't remember what the last episode you joined me for but i feel like it's been uh something in season five was it all right um, i don't remember i've slept since then <laughs> okay well uh those are the dulcet tones of stephanie graves a phd student at georgia state university uh 2014 mr pointy award winner and contributor to the recently released Joss Whedon versus the horror tradition, the production of genre of Buffy and beyond. Wait, I think I misspoke. The production of genre in Buffy and beyond. Yes. Okay. Uh, and the forthcoming. A lot of a lot of uh, prepositions. Yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm a simpleton. I'm sorry. Uh, and the forthcoming uh, transmediating trans. See, there we go. Let's try again. Transmediating the Whedon versus essays on text, paratext, and metatext. I did it. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you for coming back. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you are a, you're a fan favorite. Oh, well, well that speaks to the poor taste of your fan base, <laughs> I suppose. But glad to be here. Oh, uh, man. Well, I mean, they put up with me. So <laughs> I don't know what that says about them. But anyways, uh, so... Yeah, is there anything new going on in the world we need to talk about, or are we just going to jump right into this? Whew. Can we just ignore the world? The world is a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I much prefer fiction. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, so you you were complimenting me before we started recording on uh, my excellent timing on scheduling this episode, uh, discussing these episodes just in time for Halloween. I so, assumed it was intentional. Of course it was intentional. Everything I do is intentional with purpose and, and it's in, intricately planned and scheduled. <laughs> and yeah, I, so I meant this entirely anyways. So let me drop the spoiler warning so we can uh, get into the discussion. Conversations with dead people, not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole, which means there's going to be spoilers and a lot of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause on this, go do that, uh, make your peace with both shows. Uh, we'll be here. So you can come back whenever you're ready. And with that 
uh, business out of the way. Stephanie, if you're ready, let's go to work. All right. All right. We're going to start off with Life Serial, uh, 605 Life Serial, written by David Fury and Jane Espenson. Uh, I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on this episode? Um, I really like this episode. It's it speaks so nicely to the, how adult life feels like an endless series of Sisyphean tasks, right? <laughs> sort of undergirded by confusion <laughs> and, and like not knowing exactly what's going on. It it, it there's something honest in that. I think <laughs> maybe it's just the way my life is. Uh, no, I think it's life. I think it's life. <laughs> uh, let's see. At the top of this episode, we get her returning um, from the mysterious meetup with Angel, right? Right. Yeah. So last week, um, I was talking to Faith Current, and we we uh, she referred to that whole thing. Uh, of course, the reality of what's going on here is the shows are on different networks now, and at this <laughs> point in. Uh, in production they had not hammered out any sort of deal there was no shared custody going on so (laughs) they couldn't actually have the the physical crossovers angel couldn't pop up on buffy and vice versa at the time which is why they did that sort of i'm gonna go talk to angel off camera and angel (laughs) said i'm gonna go talk to buffy off camera yeah it's uh it, it and and because we never really find out what happens even in the comic that espenson wrote Right. It's supposed to address that moment. It's still like, you know, it, it's like in the Marvel universe, it's like what happened in Budapest. Like we never know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, f- I forgot about the, the Jane Espenson comic, the Buffy angel comic reunion. Um, so last week when uh, faith and I were talking about that, faith said that she thought it was a nice, they were, you know, laying that out there for a uh, uh, fanfic writers or whatever, uh, which I guess, does Jane Spenson's comic count as fan fiction? <laughs> probably not, but I, I think doesn't it problematize sort of what's considered canon? I don't know. I I'm almost positive I I've read it. that, but it's been oh. way so long. I don't. I remember nothing about it. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that we we mentioned it since I completely forgot about it last week. I should have, and and of course last week the episode was flooded, and that was written by Jane Spenson. So right. I don't know which came first, her desire to write a comic, and so she built in that sort of opportunity, or if they needed to have a crossover and she was like, hey, as long as we're here, how about if I write the comic <laughs> that explains this? But I just want to remind us that Buffy has not forgotten Angel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> despite, you know, n- networks will never tear them asunder. <laughs> right. And they, they kiss and make up, uh, metaphorically speaking, by season seven, right? I think we, we get crossovers in seven. Yeah, I think they, um, you know, the the politics behind the mechanism had kind of worked itself out. Yeah. Um, Cause spike is back and forth for sure. Right. Um, yeah. And faith crosses back over again. Anyways. Um, so life serial is a refreshing change of pace. I mean, I realize we're only five episodes into the season at this point, but the first four, <laughs> the first four episodes. Yeah. Like I refer to season six as the, as the happy fun time season. <laughs> the first four episodes have been so just, you know, light and frivolous that uh, it's nice to finally get an episode that's got some meat on it. Uh, I'm joking, of course. Life Serial is the first... I, I know there's stuff going on here, but it feels primarily like a comedic episode. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, anytime the trio takes center stage as the villain of the episode, it's hijinks will ensue. Yeah. <laughs> even, even if they're like trying to be super villains, they're so sort of slapstick and comedic. Um, and, and not quite as evil as they turn out to be later. Um, still in the beginning. Yeah. Um, they're still fun right now. They won't, ish. they won't Horns stay. Still terrible. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, Warren is masquerading as fun at the moment. But, but Andrew is a delight every second he spends on screen. Absolutely. <laughs> Him and his devotion to Timothy Dalton as the best Bond, which I appreciate. <laughs> okay. So I, was, I meant to ask, who is your Bond? Well, I mean, I will say, like, it's not Timothy Dalton, but uh-huh. I like an underdog. So right. I like that Andrew is so passionate about it. My my bond is probably Sean Connery. I'm I'm a basic bitch. Um, <laughs> no, that's you know. a that's a good choice. I I um um I grew up with uh why can't I think of his name all of a sudden? Um Roger Moore. Thank you, Roger Moore. I grew up with Roger Moore, uh but Literally? I, yeah, literally. We were best we were like this. No, he he <laughs> was the bond on screen as I was like first watching Bond films, but uh I, I think so. I have a soft spot for him, but I absolutely think Connery is the best. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, there, there, it's also like the era of like completely misogynistic, sexist, well, you know, gratuitous I mean, bond, but whatever. I don't, I don't know that the bond films ever got much better. <laughs> like, I don't, I think even, I think even <laughs> the Daniel Craig uh, bond probably deals with that kind of stuff as well. I don't know. My, my, uh, my friend and co-host Arlo, hates James Bond movies and I think it's primarily because of that he just identifies <laughs> the character of James Bond with that stuff fair it's a it's a I, you know I a lot I love a lot of problematic things despite yeah. their problems so yeah. it's just like to keep the unrest in my soul sort of stoked fair. Uh, fair. I just fair. fall for all the problematic media like Supernatural <laughs> oh I haven't watched Supernatural since like season seven, probably. So I don't know what's going on with that, but eh, you know, aren't they in season 30 or something ridiculous? 15 final 15. season. Good grief. Um, anyways, speaking of problematic things, let's talk about the trio some more. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, this isn't, so I found an interesting read on this in the book, dusted the unauthorized guide to Buffy, the vampire slayer um, in their description of this episode. Uh, they always try to break down what each episode is quote unquote really about. So this is a very interesting take. I don't think I'd ever heard of or considered before. Uh, they posit that, um, let's see, I'm going to read this. It says, uh, this is complex on the surface. It's a story about Buffy trying to cope with a series of hopelessly confusing life choices. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But there are also frequent hints that Life Serial is about the series itself, with the trio critiquing Buffy's existence as if they were the TV audience, or more cynically, a bunch of nitpicky fans. The first test sees her skip through her college day at high speed, in much the same way that a TV show skips through the boring bits. Her second involves a token monster fight. Her third teaches her the lesson of always give the customers, i.e. the viewers, what they want. And Warren complains that her life has no focus in a way that suggests he's really criticizing the characterization. That's clever. I hadn't thought of it like in that kind of metaphor. But yeah, that tracks. It it does track, but I, I don't know if I buy it. 
I, uh, I, maybe I should. I don't know why I'm being so cynical or so so like I don't know cynical about this because, on the one hand, I was going to say I I just don't imagine the writers, um, being that meta with that material. But then as season six progresses, I'm going to get increasingly annoyed with the writers for the meta stuff that they do <laughs> that I see them doing. So maybe I shouldn't uh, hand wave this. Maybe it actually is a thing that was going on. Well, the trio in general is sort of a stand in for the fandom, right? Like they're super fans. They're total nerds. You know, they revel in the pop culture properties that they're devoted to. So I think that they are using them to comment on sort of the Buffy fandom and how, like, by this point in the series, it had gotten a little uh, zealous, <laughs> perhaps overzealous um, in some of the forums and stuff. So I, I don't know. I think that's an interesting theory. I'll have to ponder that. All right. I didn't know if anybody had uh, brought that up before, but I hadn't heard it, so... Um, what do you think about the various tests that they put her through? Um, <laughs> I like, I like the, uh, the setups for them, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like Warren is pretending to be a double agent, which, you know, fits Warren's sort of hero of his own life character. And then you have Andrew pull out some pan pipes, <laughs> <laughs> just, appreciate the mechanism of the spell that he casts and then of course jonathan with the uh wh where he turns himself into the demon when buffy finds it right i thought you were going to mention his magic bone oh well i mean his magic bone that that's a whole scene that needs a little unpacking <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know if you're kidding but let's go ahead and unpack the magic bone thing for a second because in that same scene uh, there's the uh, Jonathan tells them they have to hold hands and Warren is fine. He just immediately reaches out to grab Andrew's hand and Andrew freaks out. He's like uh, each other or something. I don't remember what he says, but he, <laughs> and, and Warren's like, you know what homophobia really says about you or something yeah, like that. And it's like, Warren, like, I hate that Warren is more aware than Andrew, you know, because Andrew's obviously the gay character. Yeah, uh, that's and... that's what I was going to ask. I couldn't remember if that ever becomes canon. I thought I remembered that there were rumors that Andrew is supposed to be gay, but I don't remember if the character is ever outed, basically. Now I'm questioning myself, but I thought, because I'm thinking about in Storyteller, uh -huh. um, because, I mean... He's so gay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I agree. Even, even if it's not made explicit, like it's explicit, right? Because of his characterization and how campy he is and the, the sort of, I mean, he's leaning into a stereotype for sure. But um, yeah, I guess it never, I clocked him as gay immediately and just went on with my life. But I don't know if the series does make it legitimately explicit. Uh, let's see. Somebody is about this. <laughs> in um, in January 2008, gay men's website AfterElton.com awarded Andrew the status of the 10th best gay or bisexual character in modern science fiction, uh, despite commenting upon the textual ambiguity of Andrew's sexual orientation. Mm. Uh, this prompted creator Joss Whedon to more formally comment. Um, let's see. Uh, this is riveting radio, I'm sure. <laughs> 
all seems pretty vague. I'm not going to get it. Um, well, we already had, you know, a lesbian couple on the show, so we can't be too gay or the universe might explode. Yeah. Um, now, Tom Lank came out as gay. Yeah. So anyways. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting moment. So when when Warren holds Andrew accountable for the way he flinches. Um, but don't we find out, isn't Andrew in love with Jonathan? I, I genuinely don't remember. I have... I have a mishmash of confusing memories and images from upcoming episodes. <laughs> I haven't watched the end of the season in a really long time. So yeah. now I'm like, eh, I can't remember exactly. Um, okay. Well, obviously we're not going to figure anything out about the magic bone and the homophobia here, but um, <laughs> we of course need to talk about the mummy hand. Oh, the mummy hand. Um, which is, uh, I mean, I love any time, uh, and, and it happens a lot in TV where there's like the Groundhog Day sequence. Yeah. Um, and Buffy being more and more frustrated as she's trying to please somebody and can't because usually Buffy's not too worried about pleasing people, right? <laughs> like that's her MO is that people try to please her. So, um, it was, it was a clever spell in terms of how it was set up. Yeah. Um, I had forgotten how long that scene went on and I'd also forgotten how funny it was. Um, I mean, this was a, this was a legitimately funny episode and that whole mummy hand scene, of course, had a uh, callback or had, had references to like Monty Python's dead parrot sketch, <laughs> right. which an ex-mummy hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anytime Monty Python gets references, there were all sorts of pop culture references in this episode. Uh, Warren, uh, referenced um, Logan's run. He said something like his call sign was Logan uh, five. Yeah. Logan five. That's what it was. And, uh, and he called Buffy a runner. He referred to her as a runner. So, um, and then there was uh, obviously the star Wars <laughs> and the star Trek, the next generation and X files, lots of pop culture references, which shouldn't surprise anyone considering the trio is here. <laughs> I love the, uh, they're really leaning in, in these two episodes to a uh, star Wars fandom, mm -hmm. but I love the, the little, I, lo I love how long the argument about the Death Star on the side of the van goes on mm -hmm. about how the exhaust valve is in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> like they just let that kind of go for a minute and I enjoy every second of it. <laughs> Andrew's a pretty good, Andrew's pretty handy with a, with an airbrush. Yeah, it was nice work. Um, and he really completed it with the horn that he later leans on. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else did we get in this episode? Clem. We finally got Clem. Although he's not named in this episode. That is Clem, the floppy-eared demon. Yeah, loose skin. Yes. Um, and, and more importantly, we get Kitten Poker. <laughs> now, I am 100% not down with <laughs> Kitten Poker. I, am, I, I can't watch that scene and think, you know, oh, they're going to eat those sweet kittens i don't know yeah, I, i'm until like until the one demon says that they're delicious yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. kittens yeah <laughs> i just love spike holding a kitten like it's the best um it's and it's it's such an absurd delightful moment of world world building mm -hmm. i really enjoy uh you know and and how much buffy isn't fitting into anywhere else in life and she also can't fit in in the demon underground 
poker like game. She can't, you know, get the information she needs because she can't just chill out. Um, so it really, like, even though that's not one of the tests, it still feels like a moment where she is made to understand how she's not fitting in with any of these scenarios. She came pretty, she came closer to fitting in there than she, she did like at the construction site or, uh, even as, even as a retail worker in the magic box because she relied on alcohol. I thought it was interesting that in season I think it was primarily season four. The, the show has taken pains to show us the evils of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, really clumsy, clunky, terrible pains. <laughs> yeah, and like Buffy has never seemed particularly to, ever since Beer Bad, I don't think she's ever gotten over her distaste for alcohol. And I guess she's still, I mean, it's still... She clearly doesn't have a taste for it. Yeah. Since every time she takes a shot, she makes this like god awful face yeah well Um, i'm with her that's how i feel about hard alcohol too but i drink (laughs) i drink umbrella drinks primarily but um i just thought it was interesting that she she fights through the pain and downs like his entire flask of whiskey and then she just takes the bottle when they get to the bar and just chugs the bottle so yeah i don't know Um, if the if if the running theme of this season is all about like putting away childish things um I guess it's just one more example of her doing a grown-up thing, which is getting drunk even though you hate the taste of alcohol, which is what grown-ups do. Well, is that even a grown-up thing? Because she's what she's really doing is trying to escape her own responsibilities, which we get with um, Giles' concern over how she's sort of abdicating her authority mm-hmm. of her life to him. Like, you know... Um, you get that moment where he looks like after she leaves the room and it's like, Oh, he's really not happy about (laughs) how she's letting him or, or requiring him to be the adult in her life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could make an argument that grownups that drink alcohol that, that, you know, get plastered on alcohol or using alcohol to run away from problems. But well, yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, things do suck for Buffy. She's come back from hell, which nobody knows yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nothing for her, even when her life is complicated, it can't be complicated in a simple way. Yeah. <laughs> like when she has a bad day, she's having a really bad day. Um, um so I want, so I said that, the theme or maybe one of the themes, one of the big themes of the season is the whole growing up and putting, putting away childish things. Um, I, I want to comment on the fact that the nerds of doom, uh, you know, they're clearly meant to represent arrested development or whatever, right? The refusal to grow up um, in a season when we're trying to see all of our heroes, learn how to be adults the bad guys are the ones that very pointedly refuse to grow up and they cling to their childhoods <laughs> um I, I was curious who's bankrolling them um they have a lot of expensive toys in that van yeah well at some point in the season we see them rob a bank don't we yeah I think. oh no they robbed they robbed a bank they were the ones that sent the demons to to rob the bank um that uh in the last in was it in flooded 
whenever Buffy went to try and get a loan and the demon attacked. Oh, that's right. Because um, everything works out terribly for her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they got money there, but anyways. Um, so this, we're still too early in the season for me to know how I'm going to come down on this, uh, in this rewatch, but based on my past feelings and right now, just my need to be controversial on this podcast to stir up conversation. <laughs> I want to talk, I want to push back a little bit against the notion that growing up in air quotes is like the ultimate goal in life. And that refusing to grow up in air quotes is the ultimate failure. Um, like in fact, the more, <laughs> the more that the case is made that the, the privileged white male nerds, represent the clearest and most present danger to the world like the harder i want to push back against it but i recognize i am a privileged white male so i may have a skewed perspective on this but i don't know i i i've always struggled i enjoy the nerds of doom like i i love the trio as the comedic villains they are and obviously at least one of them goes on to become a genuinely just horrific villain but i've always had mixed opinions on how they are used to represent the big bad. Yeah. I will, in a lot of ways, I mean, season six is, is sort of weird. You know, I think coming out of five where there was, you know, glory and the key and Buffy dying and all that, you know, they're trying to like give us a little bit of a break with the trio mm -hmm. being set up as the sort of through villain for the season. But I would say they're not the big bad of the season. Um, I think Buffy's... I mean, well, I mean, I, arguably some people say Willow is too. But um, I think that it's really about like an internal battle for Buffy. Sort of dealing with, you know, life without her mom. Having to assume responsibility for the family. Having to like take on financial responsibility and get a real job. Because, um, you know, slaying doesn't pay. Right. <laughs> crap pay for saving the world. She could just start itemizing like per villain killed. Didn't, didn't the watchers council pay Kendra? I think they just like, she let a kept life for them. Okay. okay. Um, because she didn't have any money. Right. Yeah. Um, and she had one outfit. <laughs> oh, that's true. They, if they did pay her, they didn't pay her well. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, because they're so hard to take seriously as a big bad of the season, right? Because they're so inept. Like, bless them. <laughs> and and I do think that the trio itself is commenting on how people with bad intentions can enable each other and make it worse, which we sort of get with, with Warren's trajectory. Mm -hmm. But... You know, like, and like, well, poor Jonathan, but then Andrew too, like becomes part of the Buffy gang in the next season. So, um, I think it's that, like, I think there's a comment there about like possibility of redemption, which is a ongoing theme throughout the series. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I kind of agree with like, I don't know. What's the benefit to growing up? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. What do you, what's in it for me? Um, yeah, they're living, they're living their best life, you know, sure. um, 
<laughs> just hanging out together, playing D&D and plotting the demise of the Slayer. I mean, I'm recording this podcast right now in a room freaking filled with Funko Pop figures. <laughs> so what do I know about being a grown up? Yeah. And look, I mean, like if you consider the man behind the the series, like, you know, he has made a career out of sort of refusing to give up childish things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, it, it's this season marks it becoming a less black and white, a more complex story um, where there's a lot of nuance and no clear answers. Like there's not really a clear answer to what Buffy needs to do to cope with the new conditions of her existence, but you're still trying to, you know, figure out how to get through it. And, you know, if you have to take a, a, hot affair with spike to do that then that's fine (laughs) perfectly legitimate way to cope i i'm completely fine with that decision yeah which is coming coming soon and i can't wait to hear people talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean that's i've said a couple times now that uh this is spike's show from now on in my opinion um and we're getting so many of those little carrots like you know leading up to it like he asks her um, well, actually, I think it's in the next episode, but he's like, are you ready for some rough and tumble? You know, like, and he's talking about patrolling, but right. they're, they're, they're definitely leading us that way. Yeah. And that's something as I was watching these two episodes that I was like thinking about is how elegant this series is at building that long-term narrative. Like for a while now, they've been putting the little moments, like not addressed, but, but shown dawn pocketing things and like swiping stuff and that's all going to come to a head like in once more with feeling but they've been you know it's not it doesn't appear out of nowhere like they're good at building that stuff into the narrative so that none of it seems unearned when you get there yeah that happened really early in season five i and uh i commented on it when that did happen that uh i had forgotten they set that up so far in advance yeah she's a little klepto (laughs) yeah and we and we see it i don't know maybe four or five times uh so they don't it's probably one of the best examples i mean some people may argue that the the whole little miss muffet counting down from 731 or whatever um is the best foreshadowing but i just think it was the most uh patient foreshadowing because they didn't have her steal something in every single episode like they didn't front load it so much that people were asking what does this mean it was just so subtle and occasional that uh when the shoe does drop you're like oh that makes total sense and that's what we call good character development (laughs) yeah and what a lot of shows do clunkily where it's like oh well this is here so clearly in the third act this you know this this gun will go off or whatever like um it's it's not done in that world building way where it's part of sort of constitutive of the characters i guess mm-hmm. um i don't I, unless we want to debate the nerd trio some more i don't know if i have anything else for the in this episode we can probably move on to all the way if you if you want yeah you're gonna have plenty of time to debate the trio i know it, it's gonna come back many many times um <laughs> so i do want to say as we as we move into the next episode 606 all the way that uh i 
I've said in a recent episode, uh, as soon as we got into season six, I said that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm famously a Dawn defender. Um, and that I think probably the, the best of Dawn was in season five, which makes perfect sense. Cause that season was kind of built around her. Um, and that I don't remember the finer details of it, but my memory was, and I've been told by many people that season six, that, that basically Dawn goes downhill from there. Like, uh, she, she's had in the first couple episodes of season six, she got to kind of be the mature one. Cause Dawn, cause, cause Buffy came back and she got to nurse her older sister back to health or whatever. I don't know, but that it quickly derails and she goes back to being treated like a, an infant again or whatever. Um, I've not been looking forward to that, but I'm, I'm very, very happy with the way that Dawn was treated in this episode. It's yeah. She, this episode respects her as a person and as like a young person who's trying to figure out life. Um, and I really like, I like her in this episode a lot. It's one of her better ones, I think. Yeah. This is, this is kind of Dawn's version of, um, Oh Lord, what were the episode titles? Surprise and innocence. Yeah. Where, you know, Buffy had to learn a, a hard metaphorical life lesson with the bad boyfriend or whatever. Um, this is, obviously not quite that weighty, but, uh, this is sort of Dawn's version of that. Yeah. Um, and it's the Halloween episode, which, you know, was always fun. And I, I love that in Buffy, like makes it explicit, you know, like when everybody's like, uh, it's Halloween, nothing really happens. It's like, <laughs> she's like, yes, it does. <laughs> What about costumes come costumes coming to life and adorable Irish fear demons? <laughs> Which, you know, she's got a point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bad I, things do happen in Hall on Halloween in Sunnydale. I, I liked Giles' retort though when he was like, "If history has proven anything, uh, when something happens, it'll happen to one of us." <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, but it doesn't. It's happening to Dawn. Mm -hmm. So, which who's still not. I mean, she's part of the group, but also they keep her at arm's length deliberately. Yeah. Which becomes more of a thing as, you know, later as the the potentials and everything happens. Um, damn, what was I about to say? I think I was going to comment on uh, how the season is about our characters growing up. And that puts Dawn in an awkward position because she is... Uh, she's legitimately the only one who's not a grown-up now. <laughs> like, yeah, she's explicitly the child that uh, now is hanging out with all the older kids. But um, and I don't think that, like, she probably is infantilized for the rest of this season. But this episode felt like at least an effort to have her take one of those sort of you know teenage mile markers one of those steps on the road to growing up yeah and it's nice we seldom get scenes of dawn i think part of what we hate about dawn is we only get to see her when she's causing conflict for buffy mm -hmm. and so it's nice to see some of her life where buffy's not around and not on the periphery you know until you know all the vampires attack yeah but <laughs> it's nice to see her getting to like live a life and be a child um yeah, Arlo, Arlo and I were talking when we discussed the body. We talked about how much we enjoyed uh, 
I mean, it's a bittersweet example because of the episode that it came in, but we enjoyed getting a glimpse of Dawn's just school life, like her hanging yeah. out with friends at school and seeing what her day is like when she's not hanging out with the Scooby gang. And so same thing here. I, I like the opportunity to see her doing stuff on her own. <laughs> and, and I think we talked about this last time, you know, I, I don't hate on Dawn the way that a lot of people do. Um, but she's also in a tough narrative position. Like that's what she's inserted into the narrative to do is to be this, responsibility but also source of conflict for Buffy so if you like shoehorn a character into the narrative who's just there to affect another character then it's hard for them to be a full character um, which is what I like about this episode is she gets to be more of a full character yeah so this is me uh, looking for meaning where there's there's likely just coincidence but what the heck that's what we're here for um so xander dresses up as a pirate the eye patch and yeah he gets to wear the eye patch and i don't remember but is it the same Thanks, eye? Freddie, for shadowing <laughs> i think it is the same eye. is yeah. it the same eye okay yeah um now i say that uh i was looking for meaning where there's likely just coincidence but um wh- what do you think about that do you think that that is just it you know it may just be one of those things that hurts in retrospect, like, you know, hindsight, um, do I think that they were planning this out beforehand? I mean, probably, but do I think that that was necessarily a deliberate foreshadowing? Probably not. Yeah. That's, I think that's where I am, but it doesn't Um, matter because it's our text and we do what we want with it. Right. Right. (laughs) We have the whole thing. So we know. Yeah. (laughs) So Um, it's impossible not to rewatch this and have that hurt a little. Yeah. And in that same scene, uh, so this one might be more of a stretch, but it's uh, it's probably the same thing where it's just a thing that they put in the narrative here and then later down the line, they decided to pay it off. Like they probably wasn't thought that far ahead, but in that same scene when he says, I'm going to marry that girl, uh, you know, Buffy at first <laughs> thinks he's talking about Dawn. Yeah. And if we look past the end of the television series and into the comics, which I would rather not do, but in this instance, (laughs) if we look ahead in the not too distant future of the comics, I think it's season eight, isn't it? Is it? It it, it probably is because I didn't read anything past season eight. I don't think. Um, Yeah. So maybe you should say the thing for people who haven't read the comic. (laughs) Oh, I should say. <laughs> uh yeah, uh I don't I don't know if they get married, but in the comics, which are supposedly official canon continuing on after the end of the television series, uh yeah, Don and Xander become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little hmm. Yeah. And and it it makes me wonder if like they were looking for moments in the show to develop for the comic and they were like, "Ah, there's one." Um, or if it just worked out that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here we even get, we've already seen a, in season five, there were examples of Dawn had a childhood, you know, had a, a teen crush on Xander. That was very apparent. Um, <laughs> and then here she shows a little bit of jealousy when he announces that he and Anya are getting married. Yeah. Just a little bit. And I don't, I don't, that that out, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't remember if that ever comes back, but. God, I love Anya in this episode. She's amazing. Um, for one, her costume. 
The angel? <laughs> I'm a Charlie. <laughs> a very special kind of angel. You just have great hair, which is true. Her hair looks great. Um, and she's also like killer on roller skates. I know. Uh, I was, I, whenever I see anybody on roller skates, I project uh, my own clutziness and I'm like terrified they're going to fall over. Um, but she was rocking them. Yeah. That feels like one of those uh, things that someone, they just realized that uh, the actress could, was good on roller skates and they were like, <laughs> we got to find a way to work that into an episode. Yeah. Um, and I love the, the dance she's teaching Dawn over the cash register, the <laughs> dance capitalist gain. Um, yeah. She's just so many great small Anya moments in this episode. Ooh, okay. Let's see. What else did we have? Um, some great quotes in this episode. Um, <laughs> like, um, is that why you're always cleaning your glasses? That That's the one I wrote down as my favorite moment of this episode. Uh, <laughs> so you don't see us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, of course the there's, <laughs> of course there's spikes, um, great pumpkins on in 20. <laughs> Just, I, I, I love learning more and more about spikes, television viewing habits. He it's, is slavishly devoted to the TV. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that every time they, they, burst in to his crypt and the TV is on. It's some classic horror movie or whatever, like Nosferatu or I think, I don't remember what this one was, but it was a black and white horror film. But all he ever talks about watching are Passions and Great Pumpkin. And <laughs> so. Was it Night of the Living Dead? It was some zombie film. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. yeah. Um, somebody was eating an arm. I remember the still, but um, yeah, the... Uh... I mean, you get a lot, again, like, they're so good at, like, if you were to, to try to sum this episode up, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of stuff going on. Because um, you have the engagement party, you have, you know, the Halloween with the show and everything, you've got Willow and Tara fighting about her escalating magic use, mm -hmm. like, then you've got Buffy sort of, like piecing out and not being a, a parent figure for Dawn. Um, you got the random red herring villain guy who was actually just making Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I thought that was a great uh, sort of twist. Um, and I, I wonder if it was as effective as it was. I feel like it was effective. You can counter, you can, you can argue that if you thought it was cheesy, but I thought it worked pretty well. And I, I wonder if maybe the reason it worked as well as it did is that's the kind of thing that the show used to do in earlier seasons. And I feel like in, in recent seasons, like season four and five, they, they did less of that as they've yeah. gotten more and more into the serialized storytelling. They've, they, the, I don't know, there've been less of those uh, sort of shocking twists or subversions. <laughs> um, and didn't we see like, wasn't somebody making something for kids with rat poison? Or am I conflating this with another show? So I was like expecting that was what he was making. The special treat he was making for the kids was like going to be some kind of poisonous whateverness. Yeah, I feel like maybe that was a, an early like season two, maybe. I don't um, remember, but it's one of the lunch ladies, maybe mixing yes. it into the school food. Yes, you're um, right. It was, yeah. Well, the thing is buried in the depths of my brain pan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like like he's you can't tell if he's menacing or if he's actually just sort of this doddering old fellow who clearly was wronged by his former employer. <laughs> like, um, 
but then you've, you know, it, it gives us important information about the uh, young fella with whom Dawn has taken up. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the old guy whose name I can't remember, Mr. Cat, Mr. Kaltenbach. Cal- okay, sure. Um, uh, the menacing atmosphere or whatever, the menacing vibe that he put off was only helped by the fact that he randomly liked to hum pop goes the weasel which uh is such a vague like (laughs) when that was happening and he was he was like humming that song i instantly was like oh that is super creepy and then i took a second i was like what is that i know that song it's it's uh oh it's pop goes the weasel why is that creepy (laughs) i don't know it's so it's so random and and like it's such a non sequitur to see a guy who's behaving in a in a suspicious manner uh humming I i don't know like I don't think that song is inherently a creepy song, but it is when some. Does, I think it gets deployed in a lot of horror. Really? Though, like, because it is creepy, in that there's that explosion of a moment at the end of the song when the you know thing comes out of the box. Yeah. Um, and when it comes out of the box, there it's like she's like, "Where's its head?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and and I had to like as I was rewatching this, I couldn't remember if the old guy was actually evil, or if it was just a misnomer and or, or like a, a you know diversion. And so I was like, maybe I couldn't remember. Like I was like, does the vampire kid actually like thwart somebody's evil plan? <laughs> well, that's that's what I was gonna ask. We, um, I mean, it looks like he was just about to cut into a pan of Rice Krispie treats, but. <laughs> Who we knows? Don't know sure. Who knows? He like, did have a headless, you know, Jack in the Box. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that might have been a hero vampire. Not really. <laughs> um, let's see. Who else did we have? Um, oh, G- a great line from Giles. Mist, Cemetery, Halloween. Should end well. And then he immediately falls over. <laughs> yes. That's a gag the show has done a few times where someone is saying something uh, ominous or important or, or whatever as they walk through a cemetery and then they it's completely undercut by them falling into an open grave yeah I, I expected it to be an open grave actually um, and then he just hit tripped so yeah. <laughs> but, but I you know it's Giles I thought nothing bad happened on Halloween are you going back <laughs> on what you said earlier <laughs> yeah um, were you just parking that's great <laughs> the vamp? that is great <laughs> That's great stuff. Um, so I think if the episode has a weak point, it might be that sort of prolonged <laughs> fight at the end. I don't know. I, I felt like the, the fight with all the vampires went on maybe uh, five minutes longer than it needed to. I don't know. But um, the scene like with her and the guy in the car uh-huh, that she, was, she slams the d- door on his head or whatever. Yeah, it was was pretty. It was like. Okay. <laughs> that was also the first time this season. I've commended them this season on um uh the stunt performers not like the way that they're filming the stunt performers I at least haven't noticed any glaring shots of like the stunt actress's face or whatever where you're like <laughs> that was not Sarah Michelle Geller. Um I feel like I did notice a few in this episode. This seems like the first episode in a while where some of that stuff sort of snuck through. <laughs> Yeah, where he like slams her down on the car hood. Yeah. You yeah. get that 
and and it's like a weird break in the momentum of the scene too but then you have that awesome like sort of matrix move where she like runs up the car and flips over his head mm-hmm. um so it's like well that sucked but this is followed up with this badass moment so i and i kind of liked the the uh unique dust method the like slamming <laughs> his head in the door it's a little gruesome if you if you stop and think about it but i liked it yeah um and the whole thing, I do enjoy the banter before the fight <laughs> breaks out uh-huh. <laughs> where uh, Dawn's vampire paramour is trying to offer an explanation. You know, they've seen each other at parties. <laughs> Buffy's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And she, she says, uh, Dawn says, uh, I didn't know he was dead, living dead. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the two, like the moment where she's like, did anybody just come here to make out? <laughs> it's like, you two run. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Uh, um, so the other growing up moment, of course, she. It's, this is Dawn's first kiss, which uh, um, I guess kudos to them for. I don't know if it was Michelle Trachtenberg's for, first kiss. I don't. Sometimes actors in these scenes that actually is their first kiss. I don't know if that was hers, but unique. I think amongst these shows, usually a a young child's first kiss on a television drama is like. A single peck but this was a prolonged um like extended scene of open mouth kissing and i was like wow this is, <laughs> this is going on for quite a bit and it was actually like really sweet which makes the you know the turn all the more painful but yeah you know, I, was, I did like the was, scene like, nice about it uh-huh uh-huh yeah and i, I had, liked like, the scene and, and uh, I was genuinely moved by the fact that, you know, her first her first grown up moment or whatever, her first kiss also leads to her first dusting. Yeah, yeah. And and one of my favorite moments of this episode is how when Buffy's calling her out on parking with a vamp, um, she's like, yo, we like you've never fallen in love with a vampire, you know, and and Dawn's calling her out on sort of the hypocrisy of it and of course Buffy's like well that's different and it, it is different ish but... di- yeah different ish because Buffy was practically the same age when she <laughs> fell for Angel yeah she was 16 I think yeah so. <clears throat> um, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Janice was played by a very young Amber Tamblyn she is yeah yeah whoa um, huh I didn't catch that at all. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I wouldn't have, I would have recognized her. Like I, I looked at her and I was like, Oh, I know who that is, but I can't figure it out. So I, I had to look her up, but, um, yeah, Amber Tamlin, who of course goes on to do, um, Oh, what was it? Uh, she's got the magic pants, man. The, oh, <laughs> the, secret of the traveling pants. that's not even what I was thinking of. What, what was I thinking of? Um, Oh, Joan of Arcadia, I guess, is what I was thinking of. Hmm. Um, whenever I, I hear her name, that's always what I think of as her <laughs> her big thing. I'm not sure that I knew that she was in uh, Sisterhood of the Trailing Pants. I have not seen it. Um, well, you know, you're really missing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to fall into gender stereotypes, but I give, uh, I give Arlo, my co-host, grief over the fact that he saw both films in theaters. <laughs> there are all kinds of things that are you know, whatever, screw the gender binary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, all right. So we need to talk about 
the the turn for Tara and Willow? <sighs> it's it's not good. It's a bit mm-hmm. not good. <laughs> um so do you remember as you were first watching the show how this was impacting you? Like did you feel the dread of this relationship at the time? Yes. Um because it's and it, and it plays so clearly like an you know an, an analog for like alcohol or drug dependency, you know, somebody who is trying to rationalize their behavior and their partner is trying to hold them accountable for it, but is having trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it, it, I definitely was like, this is going nowhere good. <laughs> and because Willow is brushing off everybody's concern about her magic use, it's like, well, if somebody's not listening to the people, then we know that this is going to be a thing <laughs> Yeah, just by virtue of, you know, living inside a world in which we pay attention to narrative. But and at the end of this episode, when she um, cast the spell to make Tara forget, it's like, oh, we're, we're, we're about to go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the shock for me in this episode was um, I, I didn't I didn't remember that the forget moment came here. I should have because it's called that's called out in once more with feeling, which is the next episode. <laughs> yeah. But uh, consciously I wasn't thinking that that forget thing happened uh, in this episode, but I do remember, I don't remember a lot of my first viewing of the series, but I do remember that the moment that uh, shocked me was the forget. I remember first watching the show uh, on its initial release. I was like, I, I don't know that moment. I was like, that is super, <laughs> that's like super bad. That is not cool at all. So yeah. the surprise for me on this rewatch is that apparently at the time, I don't remember having that reaction to Willow's um, seemingly much more significant attempt at using magic where she was going to shunt <laughs> everyone <laughs> at the bronze into an alternate dimension. But just for like a second. But just for a second. Yeah, of course. Of course. So as I was rewatching and that happened, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> like willow what are you what is even going on in your head right now Um, yeah she's not hearing herself and and you do get that moment as they're like at the bronze walking up the stairs and willow's talking about like what a nerd she was in high school uh um it's like you do it's really highlighting how far she's come from the sort of you know uh self-conscious uh sort of shy tiny person in the first episode who had seen the softer side of Sears, you know, yeah. like the, the episode is wanting you to make that comparison between early Willow and now to see how sort of mad with power she's becoming. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I, I, yeah, I, I know that the, the forgetting thing is much more significant and, I'm glad to say that on my first viewing, that was the, what stood out. But on this viewing, I was like, how did I not lose my mind over her threatening to get rid of everyone in the bronze? Just casually, just send them to an alternate dimension to see if Dawn's here in the crowd somewhere. But yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, like when I was initially watching this season, I was, 
I was always seeing it after the fact because it was like had changed nights and I was like mm-hmm. recording it on a VCR because, you know, I'm that old. Um, <laughs> so like usually it had already been spoiled for me by the time I watched it. So I don't remember. I, I remember knowing this is going nowhere good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I watched this episode after once more feeling had already come out and somebody had told me what happens in that. Oh, that's rough. Eh, you know, you just have to sort of get okay with spoilers if you live in the world, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess the the other significant thing that happens in here is um, once again, uh, Buffy puts off her adult responsibilities onto Giles with the whole... Like, so, so in the previous episode, him writing her a check and, you know, it it was a cute scene where she was like, oh, Giles, this is too much. And he's like, well, in that case, and he tries to take it back. She's like, I was just being polite. I'm going to take the money. (laughs) Um, I mean, that scene was, was a little bit more humorous. uh, But even, even in that scene, you could tell in Giles, you know, the look in Giles's face as he's wondering, is this a bad idea? Like, was that a mistake for me to do that? Yeah, um, and and I think what she says is he as she's walking away is you know it with you here it feels like I'm safe mm-hmm. or something, and you know she's we find out how badly sort of traumatized she is in the next episode, but she's dealing with a lot. Yeah, we don't know any of it yet. We just kind of get that she's not quite right, um, not the usual Buffy. Mm-hmm going through the motions you might say (laughs) one might say yeah um but yeah and and it's you know if you pay attention to the episodes too you also get that special guest star anthony stewart head in the opening credits and it's just oh it's coming and it hurts (laughs) yeah yeah that's um i think that's only a couple episodes away right yeah not looking forward to it but it does give us a great comeback (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm sad that we, we don't have him for most of the season, but at least there's a, a fist pumping moment when he returns. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Buffy is sort of in this weird place where she's, you know, just recently undead and <laughs> having to like, try to fix the house and pay all the bills and, you know, be a mother figure for her little sister and find a job and also slay. Meanwhile, like, you know, she's just sort of like bereft from being ripped out of heaven, which we find out, but you're still getting a lot of that. Like, that's why she's like hanging out with spike. They have the conversation about, you know, I don't really like crowds lately. Mm -hmm. So they're, they hang out together. Um, uh, remind me if you're a, a fan of the Spike Buffy relationship. Big fan, big okay. fan. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> obviously, Buffy I for life. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, obviously, I am too. But I, over the years, I have, um, I've made my peace. I've acknowledged the fact now that I'm not quite so, so neck deep in the shipper wars or whatever i've acknowledged the fact that uh yes spuffy for life but it's still not a good relationship like neither one of them is necessarily good for the other uh it doesn't make the the thrill or the heartbreak any less but um so i'm I'm trying to 
with one eye on this rewatch, I'm trying to just keep that in mind. And I'm, I'm watching as the two of them get closer and closer. And I'm, I'm seeing, I'm trying to watch for when it really breaks bad. Like when, at what point does it become, should it become impossible for me to look at this relationship and not think this is kind of a mistake guys. Yeah. I mean, it's doomed. Right. Um, and especially, uh, when she's sort of in this relationship and she's, uh, using it as a way to punish herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, I'm not saying it's healthy. <laughs> Just saying I appreciate their chemistry. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I think angels kind of a wet blanket as a character, True. but, True. <laughs> and she can't be with angel. Like, she can't and we know that so move on and have a life and you know make out with a hot vamp it's fine yeah it's fine (laughs) i mean like you do these are things these are things you do when you're growing up yeah and you know I i think that the relationship with spike does become like kind of her feeling she can't have nice things yeah um and of course like where that ends up uh, with him in the uh, on the floor of the bathroom, mm-hmm. like it's going nowhere good. I mean, it's all painful, but there's like such rich storytelling in that pain. So I really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, what? Uh, now I'm just looking for stuff that we can that we still need to talk about. So I think the last thing I'll ask is a. Uh, Speaking of it's not going anywhere good, uh, what sort of foreshadowing do you feel in the Xander and Anya stuff? Oh, yeah. the So he's so taken with her in that moment that he finally decides it's time to announce it, right? Mm-hmm. And then immediately when everybody starts congratulating him and talking about the life they're going to build together and, you know, maybe you should put on a down payment on the house and you've got a plan for children or they'll run right over you. <laughs> And you can see his like expression becoming more and more freaked out, um, which is a nice contrast to the previous episode because we saw Xander on his work site being like capable adult Xander, which is a Xander that I really appreciate and that doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, mention. Yeah, is you know it's fun to hate Xander, um, it would seem, and I don't. <laughs> I, but like I, uh, I said, I enjoy problematic things. So <laughs> yeah, no, I I certainly the first few seasons uh, for this podcast, I certainly doubled down on the man Xander's terrible. <laughs> but um, from I'd say probably mid season four uh, through five and now into six, I very very much appreciate how mature they've managed to make Xander. Yeah, and he's like good at his job, and he's like running the helping run the the work site mm-hmm. that. Buffy can't fit into and I do enjoy that whole scene of her like picking the entire I-beam up that was great. <laughs> all the guys feeling emasculated by her like the show is really good about holding toxic masculinity to task yeah um but so you get Xander being so capable and sort of confident in himself in that episode and then when marriage is the thing that is like in his in his like view he's freaking out and he's like oh god so here comes the panic um which culminates 
not very long from now. I'm not sure what episode Hell's Bells is, but that's where he freaks out and takes off. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, I, I know there's another catalyst to that. There's something about, I know there's, he has a vision of like his deadbeat uncle or something. I don't remember, but there is something that pushes, is the final shove that keeps him from following through on this. But um, yeah, it was a little it was slightly jarring for me to see to have had as much of sort of adult responsible Xander as we have recently. And then all of a sudden we cut right back to him in the, like the deer in the headlights look <laughs> as soon as the notion of adult responsibility comes up. Right. And I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure that marrying a former vengeance demon is not without its misgivings, mm-hmm. but <laughs> It, I, I don't know. It's I'll accept it because it's the story they're telling, but it does seem a little, like you said, jarring. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunate he, how that all goes. Yeah, and and I get like we have to have dramatic conflict because otherwise, why would we watch the show? Um, <laughs> so that's a conversation I'm going to have to have on the podcast at some point. Is uh, uh, I, I'm. I am not as pissed off at Joss about stuff as a lot of people are, but I have always like Joss's need to destroy any sort of happiness that his characters ever feel oh, has, yeah. has always been something that has frustrated me. Uh, the, the notion that you cannot, that drama does not exist if there is a healthy committed romantic relationship on camera is just preposterous to me and i I get so frustrated every Every time time we get that he's got to ruin it yeah yeah so Uh, in fact i've argued over the years that the more stuff that joss does the more new series that he writes and the more whatever the more examples we see of him setting up um like i'll just i'll 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 use a theoretical example of the nevers whenever that show's going to start, which I can't, (laughs) I can't remember when that show's going to start, but let's just say it's a Joss Whedon show, which means at some point there are going to be two characters. There are going to be a pair of star-crossed lovers (laughs) or whatever on that show. (laughs) And being a fan of Joss Whedon for as long as I have, my argument is why should I care? (laughs) Why would I invest in the romantic tension between two characters on a Joss Whedon show at this point, because I know it's not going to work. It's true, but we enjoy the hell out of it. Don't we? I mean, it's kind of like when you have a bruise that you can't stop like pressing your thumb into. Um, (laughs) The irony is I'm kind of doing that right now. I have, I've pulled something in my hand and I've been sitting here this whole time, just sort of rubbing at it, even though it hurts. Like it hurts, but you keep doing it because there's something, there's a pleasure to the way it hurts. Um, and I mean, like all great literature and cinema is sort of founded in that, you know, there's the happily ever after can't come easily. It's got to be hard won, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I, I feel like in his narratives, like, we never quite have enough time for the happily ever after to happen in order for it to continue. It has to continue being like tried to be one, um, but never quite gets there. So uh, bah humbug. I know he's, he, you know, he probably 
I can see that he probably doesn't have like healthy relationships. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you think? <laughs> Which is is not to uh, malign the fellow the mm. way that I know is popular to do these days. Um, but but yeah, I mean he, he's he, you can tell like in all of his art he's like working out some like relationship distrusts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Well. But it makes for really watchable TV. It does. Really and we f- like to have something to root for or against, so. Really frustratingly watchable TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, I don't think I have anything else. Although neither one of us called out uh, Tara's I'm not really much for the timber line. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> which was a great line, but. Which gets repeated by Dawn after the kiss. She's like, shiver me timbers. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. That was that was a little bit. I don't know. I'm not one of the people, obviously, that likes to infantilize um, Dawn, but even I was like, that might have been a that might have been a line that was crossed there, having Dawn use that line. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, she is 15. I know. I know. I I get it. We don't need to talk about <laughs> our various ages when things happened. I know. Um... Yeah, this I I this is definitely not the best Halloween episode, um, but I do enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it it. I really like this episode a lot. I I would say it's not the best Halloween episode because it because it's not fear itself. That's why. Well, yeah, <laughs> but also because I mean it barely even really registers as a Halloween episode. I mean, even though there's plenty of stuff with there's a Halloween party and there's someone uh, giving candy away to trick-or-treaters and all that stuff. Obviously, Halloween is here, but it just <laughs> doesn't feel like the the celebration of Halloween was as front-loaded. And there's a, there's a totally different story going on. So I had actually forgotten this was the... Ha- I mean, of course, I didn't forget because I, I carefully planned out my schedule. <laughs> so we would be talking about this right now. But I kind of forgot that this was a Halloween episode. Yeah, um, and I do love Spike's moment when he's uh, fighting the other vampire. He's like, "We take Halloween off," <laughs> right? Which is a nice change. Um, that is. Uh, so last week, Faith was talking to me uh, about how, in all of the studying she's done of the show and all the rewatches, she's never found anything that was um, that was an accident or whatever, um, and. Uh, we talked about what she meant by that, but some people might look at Spike's line of, Hey, what's wrong with you? We take Halloween off. Um, and then the other vampire saying, I'm a rebel. I don't, we don't like to follow rules or whatever. Some people might be like, well, that's inconsistent because Spike used to be the rebel and he's in a previous, uh, Halloween episode. He said something about, I don't know. He tried to kill Buffy on Halloween. Yeah. 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 It's turned into the hapless, uh, Regency era heroine. Right, right. Um, but I, I don't think that that's uh, mischaracterization or, or whatever. I feel like this just demonstrates the growth of the character. <laughs> he's, he's growing up too, and he's recognizing that, uh, you know, hey, there are some rules and responsibilities we need to follow. <laughs> or he just likes to be pissy, and he was looking for a reason to, to yeah. chastise the younger he's vampire. An excuse to to beat on another vamp. Um, which I thought was interesting when he goes in the previous episode, when he goes to the kitten poker game, mm-hmm. one of them was like, don't let him in. He kills our kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a really quick throwaway line, but, 
because like I do sort of wonder, you know, in the full fleshed out world that this is in my head, like what, what do the other monsters in Sunnydale think of Spike? (laughs) I think he's got, he got thrown out of that demon bar in an earlier episode. Uh, (laughs) because they said we don't you kill our kind we don't want you here or whatever so we we've seen um we've seen a little taste of that before but obviously as long as he's paying with kittens i guess they're all right (laughs) somebody had to front him. although yeah they had to they had to front him the kittens come on who's gonna stake i love when buffy turns the basket over and they all start getting away (laughs) (laughs) yeah the money's getting away free This is a terrible currency. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I don't think I have anything else on these episodes. Anything that we haven't covered? Um, I don't have any other notes that we didn't really talk about. Uh, we do get the, the excellent moment uh, at the bronze when Willis is, as she's walking by the Luke and Leia making out. She's like, <laughs> Do they know their brother and sister? Um, yes. Which coming on the heels of the the Death Star references in the previous episode is like sort of nice continuity of pop culture references. Yeah, I feel like the, I mean, the show has always been uh, willing to have its pop culture references. Um, like that's that was Xander's job for a long time. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like with the introduction of the the nerd trio this season is just sort of like the writers feel like they've been unleashed. <laughs> There's just going to be <laughs> so many pop culture and particularly Star Wars references going forward. Yeah. Don't they repaint that van at some point? Yeah, it doesn't look like that the whole season. Okay. Um, okay. Or do they get a different van? I don't remember. I, I I thought I remembered there being another mural on the side of the van at some point. Oh, I do know. There's one thing I wanted to mention. Hmm. This is very important. Okay. Um, I would just like to note that Giles's Halloween costume is the wizard robe with the stars on it. Right. It's a different wizard robe than he was wearing for the opening of the magic box, which means he owns two wizard robes. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Because <laughs> I think the, the one when they're opening is purple. Um, and this one was blue. And I was like, how many wizard robes does Giles have? Well, he's got to have one for every season, right? <laughs> it's it's probably cooler now than uh, in October at Halloween than it was when they opened the magic box. So, In, in California? <laughs> well, I don't know. It snowed there once, remember? Well, but that was a very special circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's he, he likes his wizard robes. Yeah, so I, I confess that was I didn't. The most important thing that I noticed. I, I confess I hadn't noticed that. I'm gonna have to <laughs> go back and look. Like, is it is it noticeably different? Is it distinct? Yeah, the stars are bigger, uh, um, and it's it's not the same color. So, <laughs> huh. interesting. Well, um, they were just uh, laying the groundwork for that damn Ripper spinoff that we never got. <laughs> it was. I just thought it was like an interesting costume moment. And you, in Life Serial, you get an interesting costume moment because usually every time you see Buffy, she's in a new episode or new outfit. Mm-hmm. And from when she's stuck in the time loop, she's wearing the black shirt with the kind of face on it with a skirt. But then when she shows up at Spike's crypt, she's wearing the same shirt, but she's changed into jeans. And that just like rarely ever happens on the show. <laughs> 
That that just reminded me of a, a couple of tiny little things I wanted to mention. First of all, we get yet another example of a shirt with a number on it. The eight. The number eight. Um, this is driving me insane <laughs> that there are so many numbers on shirts in this season and the writers claiming that it doesn't mean anything. You lie. You are liars. <laughs> um, but then the the I noticed that, or I think I noticed... I'm pretty sure I noticed that when Buffy comes back from her, uh, you know, she ran out the door at the end of Flooded to to rush out and meet Angel. And when she comes back, she's wearing different clothes. <laughs> so I don't know what happened on that trip to meet Angel, but she obviously had time to stop and pick up some new clothes while she was she was out. You know, like you do. Um, yeah. I, I just I do enjoy imagining and I'm sure there is a lot of fanfic devoted to what happens in that uh, interlude that we aren't privy to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then my last costuming note, I was going to resist the urge to make this, but then you you reminded me that she has costume changes all throughout uh, Life Serial. Um, she looks good in construction Gear. Dude, she looks hot. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you for saying it. I didn't say it. I said she looked good, but and she was rocking the cute little pigtails. Yeah. yeah. Um. She, yeah, and she makes a hard hat look really good. Mm-hmm. She's working it. So. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> all right. So. That is probably all the damage that we can do on these, I guess. <laughs> well, you've got a quite the doozy coming up. I know. I know. I. I don't... I'm starting to get a little nervous. I feel like uh, I really need to deliver on this one. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like I should. It should be a sing along. It should be an all musical episode of the podcast. <laughs> it won't be. Nobody get your hopes up. That's not happening. But oh, anyways. that's great. Well, maybe you could just like um, you know, uh, com- like a choreograph a dance. Okay, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll, it'll it'll be a it'll be a dancing podcast, and you'll just have to take my word for it. <laughs> it, it happens off camera yeah so. you, you'll you'll hear me be winded and i'll i'll just have to tell <laughs> you how good a job i just did at the at the dance but yeah anyways so stephanie thank you so much thank for, you. for coming back um, yeah it's great to be here i'm i i wasn't uh i feel like i'm not very incisive but i'm taking my comprehensive exams and most of my mental energy is devoted to that right now <laughs> no you're you're all good you're all good i uh but it means is... it's delightful to take a break and watch some buffy so yeah yeah well this is the fourth podcast i've recorded this week and uh so yes my mind it's i'm sure it's not as intense as what you're doing <laughs> but my mind also feels a little burned out so i don't know how incisive i was but uh it was, it was a fun conversation and two fun episodes it's always lovely to talk to you you as well. Uh, so you want to let the listeners at home know how they can stalk you online? They can uh, stalk me online. My uh, Twitter account is at Painsthe, P-A-I-N-S-T-H-E-E. Um, and hit me up on Facebook under my name, Stephanie Graves. Uh, and yeah, those are really the only two good. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram is Steph Graves. So, you know, if you just need a lot of pictures of my cats in your life, then that's the place to be. Excellent. Who doesn't <laughs> need that? All right. So everybody, uh, everybody follow her. Don't stalk her. Be nice. Be cool. <laughs> um, I'm so unstalk worthy. <laughs> <laughs> You've got cats. Anybody that has cats is worth stalking. <laughs> 
Um, all right. So uh, thank you again. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. You can find links to this and all of the past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. Help us stand out from the crowd of other Buffy podcasts. Um, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash conswithdead. I, I found a nice name and just stuck with it everywhere. <laughs> um, so as we've already said, next week, uh, some lucky deadite who I have yet to officially determine uh, gets to join me for the big one, episode 607, Once More with Feeling, the all singing, all dancing, probably no singing at all podcast episode. Uh, so until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. Yeah.